You ever uh, find yourself saying, what was I thinking? You ever have that moment where you make a decision or a choice and then looking back on it, you're like, I have no idea why I thought that was a good idea. Anybody? You liars, come on. I know you all have. We've all been there. Maybe you had that thought pop into your mind after you ate an entire bag of chips, right? You were just gonna have a handful and the next thing you know, the bag is empty. Maybe you had that thought pop in your mind. What was I thinking? Why did I ever do that when somebody asked you to help them move, right? And you're like, oh, sure, I'll help you move, no big deal. Then Saturday morning rolls around and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? Why do I have to be such a good person? Why couldn't I just be a jerk and say no? What was I thinking? My favorite what was I thinking story is from when I was about 18 years old or so, and I had a friend, and he started dating this girl, and it was one of those teenage romances that just got really intense really, really fast. You know what I'm talking about? So they were dating. They had literally been dating for five weeks, and I went over to my buddy's house, and he was like, dude, let me show you something. He lifted up his shirt, and he had tattooed that girl's name right here on his chest after five weeks of dating, and I promise you, I'm not exaggerating in the least, three days after he tattooed that name on her chest, they broke up. And he was like, what was I thinking? Why didn't you tell me, Daniel, that was a bad idea? And I'm like, bro, we tried to tell you that was a dumb thing to do. What was I thinking? I had this whole what was I thinking moment this week, actually. Um, I was sitting at my computer getting ready for this sermon, and uh, I started thinking to myself, what was I thinking when I planned this message? See, I try to plan my sermons about a year in advance. It like really helps me to stay ahead of the game, to know where we're going as a church and all that. And so you can ask me about like any Sunday in 2020, and you say, what are you preaching, third Sunday in September? I can tell you roughly, I think, what we're going to be talking about. And so I've kind of got a sense of where we're going. So way back last year, I was like, you know, in February, we should do like a romance, dating, love, sex, dating sort of series. And I knew that I wanted to start with the idea that we should stop looking for the perfect person and start trying to become the perfect person. Stop looking for the right one and start trying to be the right one. That's what we talked about two weeks ago in the first message in the series. And so then I was like, okay, so where are we going to go from there? well, if we're talking about becoming the right one, then maybe I should talk to all the fellas and I should say, guys, this is what it means to be the right kind of man that can have a healthy relationship that goes the distance. That's what we talked about last week. And then as I was planning, I thought, well, if I'm gonna talk to the guys about you know, what it means to be a great guy, then obviously I should spend a week telling the women what it means to be a great woman, right? Right? <laughs> So months passed. I'm not even thinking about this message series until we get into February. And this Thursday, I'm sitting at my computer and I'm going, what was I thinking? Am I really about to get up on stage in front of 200 women and mansplain what it means to be a lady? Like, this might be a bad idea. I don't know. In fact, I had this moment. I really did. In which I thought, oh, maybe I should just change the message. Like, maybe I shouldn't address this. Maybe this should not be a topic that I cover. I can just go in a different, uh, you know, different direction altogether. And nobody's even going to know. But you know what? I couldn't do that. And the reason that I couldn't bring myself to do that is because we talked about how crazy our culture is when it comes to men last week, right? We talked about mas uh, toxic masculinity. We talked about neutered masculinity. And we talked about how, like, our culture just gives us this crazy set of extreme when it comes to manhood. 
good. But can I tell you guys that our culture is even more schizophrenic when it comes to you ladies? It is even crazier. There are all of these different messages, all of these different competing standards that our media and our culture, and hey, even sometimes the church is giving you women that I thought we've got, we've got to talk at least about what the scripture says, that maybe we can find a healthier way forward in terms of both masculinity and femininity. If we want to start having relationships that do have the ability, the power, the potential to go the distance, then we may need to start looking at what the scripture says on these things. So this is it. This is week three of our series, Love, Sex, and Dating. We've got one more week to go after it, and I am pretty excited to get into this today. I'm not sure if you guys are going to be super excited. We'll see when we read the scripture, because we've got these competing uh, ideas and standards that come from our world. And if I'm going to be real, the church is not much better. Um, we don't make it any easier for you guys to, to just, you know, understand what biblical ideas of womanhood are. In fact, we tend to put extra standards on you ladies. Like we've got all the stuff that the world says. And then we stand up and we say, okay, but you know, God wants you to do this and that. And so we say things like, hey, ladies, you're supposed to be Proverbs 31 in the streets and Song of Solomon in the sheets. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we've got... We've got people that are laughing. They know their Bible. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go home and Google Proverbs 31, then Google Song of Solomon. You'll be laughing at the joke too. So we've got the culture that sets these extremes. We've got the church that tends to set extremes on what it means to be a healthy woman in 2020. And so I thought, let's just read the scripture. Let's see what the Bible has to say on the subject. Because as we said last week, on, when we were talking about the fellas, we don't want to get our ideas about masculinity and femininity. We don't want to get our ideas about identity and value. We don't want to take the cues from the culture and we also don't want to take our cues as a reaction to the culture, but I think the very best place, the healthiest place that we can start to understand who we are and what God wants for us or what healthy living even means in our world is from the scripture. So I'm going to put a, a section of verses here on the screen, and I'm just going to let them speak for themselves for a moment. I'll just read them and we'll see how you guys react to it. First Timothy chapter number two in verses eight, uh, all the way through to verse number 10. Look at what the scripture says here. The, the, the passage says this. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. So we're starting with the same verse that we read last week, right? When we were talking about men. So Paul, who will, will, will kind of explain who he is in a moment here, he starts out by talking about the guys and then he moves over to the ladies. And in verse number nine, he says, and I want women to be modest in their appearance, they should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Now, you might react really strongly to those verses, okay? Because it seems like the apostle Paul, who was like an ancient church planter, he's the most prolific missionary. It's like he just lit a Molotov cocktail and threw it at modern ideas about what it means to be a woman, right? And there are some of you that are here and you read those. Maybe you're here as a visitor. You don't really come to church very much. And this is the first time you showed up. And what the heck is this guy talking about? You're like, I knew it. I knew it. The Bible, religion in general, it's backwards, it's oppressive, it's sexist, it's misogynistic. And there's the proof. It's right there in your holy book, man. It says women are supposed to be quiet, 
not be fancy, you know? Like you may react really, really strongly to these verses. And if you're here and you're single, you might think to yourself, wait a sec, wait a sec. How am I ever supposed to find a mate if God says I can't even try to make myself attractive? Like, how is this ever gonna work, God? You might find yourself quite frustrated. You might even say to yourself, well, you know what? I don't think the Bible has any meaning or value or worth in my life. You, you might say, I, don't, I just don't know that the Bible understands what it's like to be a woman or a man in 2020. And I, I don't know, you might just try to pass on all of this. But I think that would be a mistake. And the reason why is because a superficial reading of these verses might lead you to say, oh, God doesn't understand what it means to be a woman, or the scriptures are so archaic and backwards and oppressive that there's nothing of value in there for me. But I believe that would be a mistake because I believe, and I think a lot of you do to, uh, do as well, that the scriptures, when they are properly understood and interpreted, they provide a healthy, trustworthy guide for us to live our lives by. So what I don't want to do is just gloss over the these verses, I want to dig into them a little bit. Just like last week, we dug into those words, anger and controversy and what it meant for masculinity and what our culture says about men. Um, I want to do the same thing here on these verses when it comes to ladies. And, and hopefully you'll see that what God says really is a healthy alternative to the extremes that our culture is constantly pushing on women. Now, in order to get there, okay, so in order for you to come to believe that this is a good passage of scripture that you actually want to kind of pattern your life after, we need to talk a little bit about what we call historical context, okay? So sometimes people read the Bible and they read it all wrong. They read the Bible like it's Wikipedia, okay? And they don't really understand how the Bible was written. They don't understand how it's structured. I didn't, you know, when I first became a Christian. And so we think the Bible is essentially just a bunch of articles or teachings on a specific subject. And so if you want to know what the Bible has to say about money, then you flip to the M's and you read everything the Bible has to say about money. Or if you want to read what the Bible has to say about romance, then you flip to the R's and you just read a bunch of information, facts, whatever it might be. But the scripture was not written in a vacuum. Okay? Every single piece of the scripture was written in response to something that was happening in the culture and the time in which it was written. So this uh, book of the Bible that we call 1 Timothy chapter number 2, it's called the book or the first book to Timothy because it was written to a young man who was named Timothy. It was written by a guy named Paul. We mentioned him a moment ago. And Paul was this missionary that went all around the Mediterranean Rim. And he started churches in important cities in ancient Rome. And one of the churches that he started was in the city of Ephesus. You'll see it there on the map in the middle of the screen. Ephesus was a city in what we now call Turkey. In fact, you can go to Turkey today and you can visit the ruins of the ancient city of Ephesus. Now, um, Paul had started the church there. Timothy was a young guy that grew up in Ephesus. And Paul said, okay, now I'm gonna go start other churches. Timothy, I want you to pastor the church in Ephesus. Now this church and the city in particular was really interesting and unique for a few different reasons. One is it was an incredibly wealthy city. It was one of the wealthiest cities in the Mediterranean at the time. And the reason is you'll kind of see there on the map, 
It's right in the middle of everything, right? It was a port city. People from all over the world came there to do business and trade. So it was very multicultural and it was just incredibly wealthy. Another reason that Ephesus was an interesting city is that it was home to a religious cult called the cult of Diana. So if you remember like your ancient Roman and Greek gods and goddesses, they all had temples and pantheons and you would worship all these different kind of gods. Well, in Ephesus, the religious life centered around the worship of this Roman goddess who was called Diana, the Greek version, because you remember the Romans just like renamed the Greeks and they're like, oh, there are gods now. The, the Roman version was Diana. The Greek version was called Artemis. And in Ephesus, they built this giant temple. In fact, the temple of Diana that existed in Ephesus when this particular passage was written, it is considered today one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This was a really important place. Now, in the temple of Diana, they were very unique, even uh, in, in their ancient context, because in their religious practice and belief, femininity, women were held in higher esteem than men. So in this particular temple, only women were allowed to be priests. Men were not allowed to serve in the temple. That's obviously pretty unique among like the ancient cultures in which the patriarchy ruled and all that. But in Ephesus, we had, because of the religious influences here from the, uh, the cult of Diana, we had this, uh, we had this matriarchy. matriarchy. It was a functional matriarchy. And so What ended up happening is the women in Ephesus, they gained a lot of power and influence. They were very, very wealthy and they were hyper-religious people. One of the ways that they would kind of put their worship of Diana on display is that they would put themselves, their bodies on display. Diana was the goddess of fertility. She was the goddess of childbearing and a few other random things too, like the goddess of the hunt. I don't know how all those things fit together, but anyway, the Romans were weird in their worship. So what women would do if they were a part of the Dianic cult was that they would start to dress in incredibly expensive and fancy styles. And they would start to adorn themselves in ways that were pretty elaborate and pretty ostentatious. So you see a sculpture here from Ephesus, and this actually, it, uh, it depicts a woman who had uh, decorated or, or fixed her hair in this really ostentatious style. We read from Roman historians, right, outside of the Bible, that women at this place and time, they would wear wire headdresses on, they would put like wire uh, headdresses around their head. And then they would have their servants take their hair and weave all of these very very intricate patterns and curls. They would take um, precious stones and precious metals and they would put it all in their hair. And then literally they would just walk down the street and be like, wow, look at me. Aren't I beautiful? Aren't I wealthy? This sort of display became a way in which you could show off your wealth and your status in that ancient culture. So Paul takes this guy named Timothy and he says, Timothy, you're going to pastor the church in Ephesus. And the gospel starts to work. And there are these women who had belonged to the the pagan cult of Diana. And they come to Jesus and they're having trouble letting go of some of their old customs. Despite the fact that these old customs were in conflict with what Jesus taught, um, they were just having trouble. So these verses in which Paul says, hey, look, don't get caught up in how you look on the outside, dressing fancy, dressing in expensive clothes and you know, putting yourself on display, so to speak. This happened because there were women in this particular church 
who were showing up on Sunday mornings and their whole goal was to draw attention to themselves. That's really what it was. Like I can almost picture some of these women, they're getting ready in the morning. You know, this whole process of getting your hair to look like that, it would take hours. And I can imagine some of these women like sitting there with their servant doing their hair and they're like, girl, Karen is gonna be jealous when I show up today. She's gonna be like, whoa, look at her hair and look at all that beauty, right? I can imagine them saying, Chad is gonna be thirsty. When he looks across the auditorium, he sees me in worship, he is gonna want me, right? So in this particular situation, there were women in which they, they were dressing in ways that put all of the attention on themselves instead of the attention being on Jesus. Now we need to pause here, okay? Because it is entirely possible for men to do the exact same thing. Okay? I told you guys last week that like anger and controversy, those, those words that Paul used to talk about men, those are not unique to men. There are women who have anger and they love controversy. The flip side of this is true. There are men in which they will put themselves on display and we'll talk about um, why this is such a bad idea. They'll show up and they'll want all eyes on them. It's all about me. It's all about the attention. This happens with men too, right? Hashtag preachers and sneakers. I mean, it's like, it's really easy for us to, to just fall into this, I don't know, We'll call it a trap in which we say, okay, by the way I look or the way I dress, I want people to notice me. I want people to see me. I want them to respect me. I want them to desire me. This is what's going on in the Ephesian church. And this is why Paul writes these words to Timothy, okay? So Paul challenges women, but by extension men, okay? He challenges women to not build their identity their self-worth, and their value on a faulty premise. You see, our world tells us that a woman is attractive based on how she looks. But God tells us that a woman is attractive based on how she lives. There is a very real difference between those two things. Can we go ahead? Thanks. Um, God says, look, it's not about the outside. It's about the inside. It's not about the external. It's about the internal. We have a culture that is constantly telling us the things that matter to you women or that matter for you women are how you look, your body shape and size, the color of your skin, the kind of handbag that you carry around. Those are the things that make you valuable, desirable, and attractive in our world. Like from the beginning of time all the way through to modern day, we have constantly communicated to you women that your value is wrapped up in, it is tied to how you look. You're either a dime or a deuce. That's just the way it is, okay? Our world has constantly said that a woman's value is tied to the way that she looks, the way that she dresses, how she appears to the world around us. But Paul says, look, it does not have to be that way. You do not have to find your self-worth, your validity, or your value in how you look. You can actually build it not on outer beauty, but instead on inner beauty. Not on the external, but on the internal. I think Paul actually deserves a little bit of credit here. I really think we should, we should consider what he's saying, and for a few different reasons. I think we need to be really careful about basing our self-worth, pursuing relationships because of the external, particularly because of how we look. And there are a few reasons. I'll highlight three of them, okay? Paul says we should focus on the internal, not the external. And the first reason is because outer beauty, it discriminates. 
outer beauty discriminates, okay? Paul says, hey, look, don't worry about the external. Don't get hung up on that. Instead, focus on living for Christ. Focus on Christ living through you because if you get hung up on the outer beauty, you know what? There are some people that are just born beautiful, you know, flawless skin, perfect jawline, hair never recedes. There are some people, they won the genetic lottery. And then there's the rest of us. <laughs> and so our world says, okay, there's an ideal standard of what a woman should look like or a man should look like or whatever it might be, right? But the reality is there is only a tiny fraction of the population that is going to match that ideal. The rest of us, the world is going to say to you again through culture, through media, whatever, they're going to say, you know, your body is the wrong size and shape. They're going to say you're the wrong color. Your face is not symmetrical enough. They're going to say your backside is not big enough or now it's too big. You know, they're going to have all of these standards. And if you don't fit this very narrow definition of what it ideally means to be a woman or a man, then you're just out of luck. Now, look, I can relate to that, okay? You guys, I am five foot six. It's a good thing I married a girl in college who made me look tall. Because if I had to do what some of you guys do and I had to find a, a mate on Tinder, I'd be in trouble. Do you know how many women say in their profile, I would never, no, if you're not 5'11 or taller, don't even DM me. You know what I'm saying? We live in a world in which there is this very narrow ideal of what beauty is, and it discriminates against everybody else who's not gorgeous like a movie star. So what are we left to do? We're left to say, well, man, I wish I could be that, but I can't. And so we go through life, and man, I, this is true of women and men, we go through life and we feel awful about ourselves. We have no sense of value and esteem and worth because we don't look like her. We don't look like him. We got a face for radio instead of Instagram. Like we just struggle because we know we can't measure up to this very discriminatory idea of outer beauty. So do we just go through our whole life feeling miserable about ourselves? No, I refuse to do that. I'm not gonna do that. I refuse to let culture tell me that I have no value because X, Y, or Z. Rather, I think if we take Paul seriously here and we focus on inner beauty, the good news is it doesn't discriminate. Anybody can cultivate inner beauty. You don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be a man. You don't have to be hot. You could be ugly. You could be any body size. You could speak any language. You could have any skin color. There is no discrimination when it comes to inner beauty. So if we buy the cultural lie that women are valuable based on how they look, then we are always going to be feeling bad about ourselves. But if we pursue inner beauty, if we pursue the things that the scripture spells out for men and for women, boy, we will find ourselves in a much healthier spot. Outer beauty discriminates. The other second thing here is that outer beauty changes. Do you guys know this? Outer beauty changes. Hey, ladies, do you remember back in the 90s when the culture told you guys that eyebrows were gross? Do you remember this? They did. And, and, and they told you guys, you got you to gotta pluck those suckers down to one tiny little line across there, right? And then the next thing you know, culture comes back and they're like, oh, that's not true anymore. In fact, if you want to be attractive now, you got to have brows with the density of a golf green. You know what I'm saying? Like they got to be plush. 
they invented words for eyebrows like fleek, you know? Like they completely changed the standards of beauty. And the crazy thing is, they didn't tell you guys back in the 90s that if you pluck your eyebrows into oblivion, they may not grow back. So outer beauty changes. Look, even if you are a good-looking person, even if you're fashionable today, tomorrow they're gonna change what's considered beautiful. Tomorrow they're gonna change what's considered fashionable. And if you are basing your self-worth and identity on these changing standards, you're always going to be pursuing a moving target. You're never gonna feel like you are good enough. I can actually prove this to you from the Bible as well, okay? Earlier in the message, I referenced Proverbs 31 and I referenced Song of Solomon. If you read Song of Solomon, it's a collection of love letters between a young man and his fiance, a young woman. And they're, you know, I mean, it's like teenage passion stuff, right? And it's all these descriptions about how beautiful their beloved is. But it's really interesting if you read it in 2020. So for instance, if you read in the Song of Solomon, the young man is describing his, his um, fiance and he says things to her like, girl... Your neck is like a strong stone tower. So it's true. That's what Song of Solomon says. Now look, if you're on a dating app, there are not many men that say, I'm looking for a girl with a thick neck, you know? That's what I'm after in this. I want a thick neck. There are probably some weirdos. Okay, there are probably some. There's another point in which the guy says to his fiance, your hair is like a freshly shorn goat. I've been married 15 years, okay? If one night I just sat down next to my wife and I said, Amber, your hair, it just reminds me of goat hair. I would not make it to 16 years, okay? So watch this now, watch this. Outer standards of beauty change. The things that we think are attractive and desirable, they tend to morph and shift over time. But if you go read Proverbs 31, we don't, we don't see a woman who's described by her external qualities, her outer beauty. We see a woman who's described by her inner beauty. She's described as someone who is generous and kind, someone who is under, you know, within self, they have self-control, someone who is beloved and respected by her family. Those are all inner qualities and they never go out of style. You don't want a girl who has goat hair, but you do want a girl who has these inner qualities. So look, if you base your value identity, or if you're single and you pursue relationships based on outer beauty alone, you're going to find that outer beauty changes over time. And it's not going to give you the happiness that you think you want. Final thought here. Why should we pursue inner beauty instead of outer beauty? Well, outer beauty discriminates, outer beauty changes, but come on, outer beauty fades. Let's just be real for a moment, okay? No matter how hot you are on your wedding day, we're all gonna get wrinkly and saggy in the end, you guys. Everybody's going to the exact same place. I was reading this article in, in preparation for um, the message, and uh, it was a research study that was put out or written about in the Telegraph newspaper. It was legit, okay? And there were these researchers, and they basically had done a bunch of study, and according to them, now listen, they said this, I didn't say this, okay? They said that a woman reaches her physical peak beauty at 31 years old. I know, like all the girls who were in their 20s are like, yeah. And all the girls who were 31 and older are like, no. <laughs> they said it, not me. I don't think it's true. I really don't. Okay, but, but let, let's just do some back of the envelope math here for a sec. If that's true, 
80% of your adult life will be spent after this supposed physical peak. So if you base your identity, your your sense of self-worth on how you look, the vast majority of your time here on earth, you're going to be like, remember when I was hot? What happened? I'm not desirable anymore. It's like this slow downhill fade. I'm talking to guys too. It's me. It's happening to me. And look, if you're pursuing relationships and your focus is outer beauty, you're going to end up Somewhat disappointed. We'll just put it like that. I was reading another research study. Oh man, this is so good. Every single married person in the audience is gonna, you're gonna get this one. So they were interviewing a bunch of men. And in, the, in, in this research study, this survey that they did, they said, okay, we're gonna try to find what kind of, or what men think is most important in a relationship. That's basically what they were asking. And so they defined the things, the two options this way. They said, basically, when you're looking for a relationship, are you looking for scenery or climate? Okay, so they were asking, do you want outer beauty or do you want inner beauty, scenery or climate? Nearly every one of the single guys said scenery was most important. He wanted outer beauty. That's what he was after. Nearly every one of the married guys said climate is way more important than scenery. Because we learn over time that beauty fades. And even if somebody is drop dead gorgeous, if, if, if internally... If their inner beauty isn't there, then it's not going to work. Look, our culture tells you that your outer beauty is the thing that matters most. The problem is outer beauty discriminates, outer beauty change, and outer beauty will fade. I'm going to read you uh, 1 Peter chapter number 3, and this is kind of the companion passage to 1 Timothy 2 that we just read a moment ago. Look at what Peter has to say here. Peter says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now that word quiet doesn't mean shut up, it means peaceful. Clothe yourself with the unfading beauty of a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is so precious to God. It's pretty important, you know, that we pause right here and we'll come back to this verse. I I, I want you to understand what Paul and Peter are saying. And I also want you to understand what they are not saying. I told you, if you, if you come to this passage and you just give it a superficial reading, then you can think, oh, God is concerned with the outward appearance. That's the exact opposite of the point of this passage. The point is not, hey, ladies, Don't wear jewelry. Heck, I put on jewelry today just to show you that's not the point. Paul and Peter are not saying, ladies, you better strip that paint off your face if you want God to be happy when you show up at church. That's not what they're saying. They're not saying that you can't have nice things or you can't dress fashionably. What they're saying is do not base your sense of identity, value, and desirability on the external. Instead, base base it on the internal. Base it on your relationship, your connection, and your creation to God himself. It's not that the outside doesn't matter. It's that the outside doesn't matter most. Ladies, can I tell you something? Your identity, it is not tied up into how you dress or how you look. 
It's not tied up to how many likes you get on Instagram. It's not tied up into how you compare to his ex-girlfriend or your sister-in-law. That's not it at all. Your identity, your value, it comes from the fact that you are an image bearer of God. This is how I know the Bible is not sexist and oppressive and backwards. Because if you read the creation story in the book of Genesis, the scriptures go out of their way to tell us that women and men are equally created in the image of God. It's not like men are here and women are created lesser. No, the Bible goes out of its way to say that when creation happened, men and women equally reflect the image of their creator. That means that your value is not tied to how you look. Just like a man's value is not tied to what he produces. Instead, our value comes from the fact that we are beloved sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. It comes from the fact that we bear the imago Dei, the image of God. And for as long as you base your sense of self-esteem and worth and acceptance on how you look from the outside, you're going to end up sad, disappointed, frustrated, maybe depressed, maybe miserable. But if you focus on cultivating inner beauty, you will find a healthy sense of identity that nobody else around you seems to have because they're still chasing after these cultural extremes of masculinity and femininity that we've been taught for centuries now. Look back at 1 Peter chapter number three. I wanna point out one final thing here. The women in, in 1 Timothy 2, they were, they were adorning themselves with things that they believed were precious. Precious clothing, precious metals, precious gemstones. Those were the things they thought were precious. And so they were pursuing them and they thought if they had those precious things, then they would be precious. And the truth of the matter is, you and I are doing the exact same thing in 2020. We are pursuing the things that we believe are precious, valuable in the world. It could be how we dress. It could be how we look. It could be our job title, our bank account, our Instagram likes, the holidays that we go on. We're pursuing the things that we believe are precious. And we have the faulty assumption that if I have precious things, then I am precious. But if I don't have these precious things, then I'm not precious. Do you see what Peter says here in verse number four? He says, you are precious to God. You are precious to God. Your sense of worth and value, it comes from your father who calls you precious, who calls you loved, who calls you by name and says, I want a relationship with you. You don't gain your value. You don't gain your self-esteem. You don't gain your worth from the things that you have or the way that you look or the amount of money that you make. You get it from your father in heaven. The world tells us that a woman is beautiful because of how she looks. God tells us that a woman is beautiful because of how she lives. If you will cultivate this inner beauty, guys, if you'll seek a woman who's cultivating inner beauty, guys, if you'll cultivate some freaking inner beauty yourself, we will start to see healthy relationships that look nothing like the hookup culture around us.
but for as long as we value the external over the internal, as long as we value the physical over the spiritual, for as long as we value the superficial over the truly meaningful, then we are going to be frustrated people in frustrated marriages, in frustrated dating relationships, because your value is not based on anything outside or on the outside. It is based on what Christ does on the inside. I want to pray for you. And my hope and prayer is that whether you're a man or a woman, you would find confidence in your relationship with God. And if you're a single person and you're pursuing a relationship, that you would pursue the things that genuinely matter, the things that will last a lifetime and even longer, rather than chasing the cultural extremes that you see on Instagram or other websites or wherever else, you would look for somebody that has this inner beauty. You would cling to it. You'd love it. And you guys would be together for life. God, we, we pray for every single person that's here today, for myself included, that we would ground ourselves in our, our identity with you. That God, we wouldn't believe that the external is what's really important, how we look or how we dress, where we live, what we drive. God, I pray that we would base our sense of self on something much deeper, something much more stable, something much healthier. God, I pray for those that are in relationships or looking for relationships, that God, they would seek after the things that will really matter in the long run. And God, I pray that we would take your word seriously and believe and trust that if we'll live by the things that it teaches, that God, we can experience life and life overflowing in Jesus. We pray this prayer by faith and with expectation in his name.